the hotly contested AL West, the under-the-radar Phillies, and what else? The Mets screwed up again as Major League Baseball makes the turn toward the final month of the regular season. Can Georgia three-peat? That's the big question heading into the college football year as the season opens in earnest this weekend. Final news and notes throughout the NFL as we're one week away from the opener. Some notable shocking upsets to top-seeded players on the men's side at the U.S. Open. And dates for training camps in the NHL and NBA are not too far off on the horizon. It's almost time to say goodbye to August and hello to a new month, but not without one last hurrah to send you off into the holiday weekend. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits. September is knocking on the door. And time to push out the last bit of the stench that was the Sports Dead Zone as I kick it into fifth gear for some high-octane, fast-paced sports chatter as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and yes, we can open up the windows, open up the door, get that stale, bad air of the last almost two months, and I know I've belabored this point over that span where it seemed like there were times during the peaks that the sports world was giving us some good information, some good topics to discuss, but for the most part, a lot of it was at the bottom of the valley, just trying to get through a podcast, just trying to make sure that I keep you entertained and informed, and even if it was 40 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever, as long as it was productive and got you through your day or through your run on the treadmill or even out in the street for that matter, or while you were cleaning, running errands, etc., that's the bottom line. But now we could turn the page. We could finally sink our teeth, roll up our sleeves, and really get into a part of the year where everybody is just ecstatic. Everybody is just chomping at the bit, looking forward to not only the NFL, college football, the pennant races that will, I don't know how much drama you're going to get, but we do have a couple of things to discuss there. And then, of course, the fall and winter sports will really start to present itself, and now we can wrap our arms around the sports world because we've been waiting for this moment. And we know that when we get past this second dead zone, we're not going to see another one until after the Super Bowl. So we'll have four or five months of nonstop, action-packed, fast-paced sports talk, and I'm glad that you're here for it as I present to you the final one of the month. And now as we are about to turn the calendar, and baseball... I get it. I posted a question on my YouTube channel yesterday asking, is anybody interested or following on a day-to-day basis these pennant races? And I get it that you have three when we discuss the AL East between Baltimore and Tampa, which could go down to the wire. The NL wildcard chase, which as unsexy as it is when it comes to the teams that are there, 
But now the Marlins are slipping and still within striking distance, but they're a game under 500. And although three games back of the final spot in the National League, you have to wonder whether or not they're going to have enough to make a push or at least to stay relevant in this race where you have the Giants, the Reds, the Diamondbacks. You don't have those powerhouse teams that we're accustomed to seeing year in and year out. And then, this is where I'll start, the AL West. I've been talking about this team here for the last two or three podcasts. I certainly started off Monday with that, with the Mariners charge up to the top of the AL West where the Rangers had really been scuffling. And even though they won two out of three in New York here, and I didn't watch the game last night, I know the Mets won an extras. I don't know if there was anything controversial or anything that needs to be pointed out here as far as maybe the Rangers blowing the game, who knows, but the Mets season, as we all know, has been put out the pasture, and I'm going to get to them a little bit later on. But when we look at this division, and we would think that these teams that are fighting for an AL West division, which will have a bye in the first round, whether that is the Seattle Mariners, who are currently in first place, percentage points ahead of the Houston Astros, who are technically tied with the Mariners, and because of the loss last night at City Field, the Rangers are now a game back, and have lost their grip on first place from pretty much the start of the year. And this is a month that I get only the diehard baseball fan will really be wrapped up in to see whether or not the Rangers will prevail and win a division to have themselves put their feet up and set their rotation for the division series, whether you'll see Max Scherzer kick things off there that following weekend after the season will conclude. But for them, the reigning champ Astros, who have been down this road before, and you would think whether they would want to get a first round bye and have to play in the division series, I'm sure they would like that. But we all know their pedigree. We all know their toughness. We know what this team is all about when it comes to their championship DNA. So we would look at that team as it doesn't matter. If they're in, they're going to be dangerous. And then there's the Mariners who have played well here throughout the course of this six, seven-week stretch to where now they're in a rock fight with the other two teams in the division, a young team, a team that has dabbled into the postseason as we saw last year. Two years ago, they won 90 games and fell short, and now they're looking to take the next step. And it's interesting because we're going to see Seattle up close and personal this weekend at City Field as the Mets conclude a homestand against the AL West. Think about that. They played the Angels last weekend. They just hosted the Rangers, and then now they're going to have the Mariners come in to finish up a nine-game homestand. So Seattle, they're going to come here, I'm sure, raring to go, try to stay away from the nightlife to see if they can continue on this winning streak. Of course, it was snap, but in a sense of winning series, keeping themselves ahead of the pack, and maybe somewhere along the line, they're going to gain some separation. Now, I have talked about how the Rangers and the Mariners are going to face each other seven of the last ten games to end this regular season. And sandwiched in between for the Mariners, they're going to be playing the Houston Astros. So when we look at what the Astros have here in this upcoming month, this weekend they're going to host the Yankees. So the Yankees who have played well here and finally have won a series for the first time since late June. Think about that, and I believe I talked about that the other day. But with the Yankees having to play in Detroit, I believe it's an afternoon game that they have before going to Houston for the weekend. But the Astros, when we take a look at their schedule, not only will they host the Bombers this weekend, and we all know about their rivalry going back postseasons in the past. Obviously, they played in the ALCS last year. But for the Astros, they have the Yanks. And then after that, they'll have to go to Texas for three. And it'll be their final series with the Rangers this year. So talk about a series that they're going to look ahead. Who knows if they're going to look past the Yankees, which I don't think they will. But that's going to be three games that I'm sure they're going to be salivating and waiting to play those games to see whether or not that they could get some separation from the Rangers during that series. But then after that, they have a homestand. San Diego comes into Houston, followed by Oakland at Kansas City. Then they have the Orioles for three at home. Interesting series there. Home to Kansas City, at Seattle, and at Arizona. So they do have an underbelly of a schedule where they play the A's 
and Royals, nine games in a 12-game stretch. And if you want to throw in the Padres, who have been awful, as we know this year, they do have a very, I'm not going to say easy schedule, but let's just call it favorable. Whereas the Rangers and the Mariners, they're going to be fighting it out, especially over the course of that final week and a half of the season to see who's going to be a wild card team or who could be a division winner. And then you have the Astros who conclude with Seattle, which are going to be three huge games on the road, and then at Arizona where who knows what Arizona's going to be playing for at that time. So this is going to be one race that a lot of the baseball folk and people like myself who love baseball are going to follow day in, day out. And I understand to people here in New York who follow the Mets and Yanks or any other city that their team is out of it, they're going to say, Jay Reels, I don't care. I'm already on the football. I get it. Totally get it. But this is what I love. And this is what I'm hoping for a September that can have some drama that will play out hopefully day in, day out where we'll have some compelling storylines, a race that could go down to the very end. And that's all you want as a baseball fan for September into October. Because the last thing that baseball needs is to go into October as it is. They're not going to have the Yankees. They're not going to have the Mets. They're not going to have the Padres. They're not going to have the Cardinals. That's four teams right there that were in the postseason last year. And you're not going to have them anywhere near October in another four or five weeks. So when you have those teams out and you have new teams coming in and the unknown of having teams that may not even make it past the wild card round as you get deeper into the postseason. Who knows? We may have an October that nobody's even going to pay attention to as everybody will be focused in on the football, whether it's college or pro. And even with an NL wildcard picture that right now doesn't look like it's going to shape up to be anything, and the AL wildcard looks like it could be compelling, a lot of that has to do with the AL West, of course, because then you have Toronto, Boston looks like they're going to be out to sea and they need a life preserver in the worst way. And I'll get to that in a minute. But that's what we're looking at here as far as September. It's going to bank completely on that AL West. Yes, some AL East and the NL wildcard. Other than that, you've got nothing. So that's all we have to hang our hat on, but at least there is going to be some juice Hopefully, that's going to last throughout the month of September, and maybe there'll be a surprise or two along the way. That's what we have to hope for as we get into this home stretch of the baseball season. The other story are the Phillies, and the reason why I bring them up is because I have not really talked about them a lot. They're a team that, as we saw last year, went to a Game 6 of the World Series, and for whatever the reason... Maybe outside of the Philadelphia, South Jersey area, nobody seems to be talking about this team. It's almost as if they've been laying in the weeds here over the last few weeks. And of course, they're no threat to the Braves in the division. And they sit comfortably in the fourth seed as far as the National League wildcard goes. And chances are that's where they're going to stay. Because as currently constituted, they are 74, excuse me, yeah, 74 and 59. They have a three-game lead over the Cubs and a five-game lead over the Giants. So it looks like they're going to be entrenched in that spot. But they have played some very good ball here over the last month. And I'm sure that they don't want anybody outside even looking at the Phillies as a dark horse. I'm sure they don't want to be on anybody's lips or coming out of anybody's mouths. Similar to last year. Because outside of Philadelphia, there's no pressure. Because they're going to look at the Braves. They're going to look at the Dodgers. They're going to look at those teams to probably clash in an NLCS to see who goes to the World Series. And oh, by the way, the first of four games tonight at Chavez Ravine between the Braves and Dodgers as a quote-unquote preview to a possible NLCS will kick off there. And we're going to get to see how both of those teams fare over the weekend as maybe a precursor to what may happen in October. That's what the Phillies want. 
And maybe that's what the Phillies are hoping for until they get to October, race some hell like they did last year as they disposed of the Braves in four games and then, of course, beat the Padres before meeting the Astros in a World Series. And that's a team that is going to be dangerous. Bryce Harper hit his 300th home run yesterday, even though it was a loss and it was a bad one because the Angels scored three in the ninth to win that series and avoided the sweep of the Phillies down in Philadelphia. But for the Phillies, we know their lineup is very good. Trey Turner has turned the season around and give it up to the Philly faithful. As bad of a year as he's had these first four months, they stuck by him. They knew that, hey, we're going to have to root for this guy for another 10 years. So as bad of a reputation that the Philly fan has, they knew that they had to stand and cheer and applaud as much as they possibly could for their shortstop to see if he could get out of this funk. And he has played better of late. So between those two guys, and then you can't forget JT Real Muto, you have other guys in the lineup that can mash, whether your name is Alec Bohm, who has a good bat, Nick Castellanos, who can be dangerous, although hasn't lived up to the contract going back to when he signed before last year. Of course, you have Kyle Schwarber, who I understand, low batting average and all, but he's always a man in scoring position every time he gets up to the plate. And the pitching, as long as Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola hold up their end for guys like Ranger Suarez and the like, this is a team, and even with an improved bullpen, although Craig Kimbrell, he is, you always have to hold your breath with him as he blew the game yesterday. But they are going to be a dangerous team come October, or at least so we think, based on what we saw there last year and how they performed here over the last month. And I have to give it up to them. Because the team, even in the American League, the Tampa Bay Rays, who had been in first place throughout the whole year up until the latter part of July. And you would think, as much as I feel that that team is built for an 162-game regular season in October, as we've seen, other than the year of the pandemic, when they went to a World Series, they seem to fizzle out. But that team's going to be dangerous, and we know the Phillies are going to be the same. So everybody can talk Astros, everybody can talk Orioles, or the teams in the AL West, and same for the National League, the aforementioned Braves and Dodgers, but the Phillies are a team that's going to be reckoned with come October. And then to close this theme out, I talked about this when the trade happened. I talked about this briefly on Monday. And I understand this is low-hanging fruit, but then I also have to understand that this is probably the way of the sports world in 2023. And I didn't know that last Friday, when Eduardo Escobar came back to City Field as a member of the Anaheim Angels, that they even gave him a video tribute. And I had to ask myself, even then, as good of a guy and as good of a teammate, and he was beloved in that locker room, does he really deserve a video tribute? Because other than a September surge where he put up some good numbers and had some game-winning hits and contributed down the stretch for the Mets there before imploding in Atlanta and then the following week at home against the Padres in the postseason... Even if it was two clips and it was seven seconds. I'm sorry. Eduardo Escobar does not deserve a video tribute. And I felt the same way for Max Scherzer because of the aforementioned series in Atlanta and in the wild card against San Diego. The lasting memories that I have of Max Scherzer in a Met uniform was in Atlanta and at home against San Diego. Why in the hell does he deserve a video tribute? Which is no fault to Scherzer. And as we saw after the tribute, he got booed, even with the camera in front of him. So to think that the Mets, once again, drop the ball and screw up a winning lottery ticket, how this man does not, in any way, shape, form, or fashion, deserve to have a 50-second, 90-second, or 3-second video tribute for what he did here in New York. Because for $43 million in the two games that he needed to produce, that A, if he would have won his game, they would have had a bye and would have played in the division series. And two, when it really mattered in game one, vomited all over himself. Four and two thirds, seven runs, four bombs of home runs, got booed off of the city field mound mercilessly. And he got a video tribute. That is the fault of the owner. 
That is the fault of the video production team and whomever was behind this whole thing, they should be ashamed of themselves. They should have never done this. Jacob deGrom, if he was in uniform and in the building, totally different story. At least he pitched in a World Series and pitched a Game 5 in LA in the Division Series when he threw 120 pitches in 60, in 6 innings, I said 60, 120 pitches in 6 innings where he had to gut out the game. That was a highlight, anything more than what Max Scherzer did in the year and a half that he was in New York. They could have shown the highlight of that game in LA when he went up against Zach Greinke. And you know what? We would have stood and applauded. And hopefully Jacob DeGrom has his day in New York in two years when he comes back to visit. Whether he'll be healthy and ready to pitch at that point, who knows. But boy, that was a disgrace. And I get it, a lot of these teams are going to do that. They're going to have a video tribute even if you played for five minutes or had one pinch hit at bat or through one inning and you're going to have a send-off to when you come back, they're going to give you that tribute. Which is the same to uh, all these teams retiring these numbers left and right. And I get it. Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden are going to get their numbers retired. And I think they should. And it's their just do. Forget about their careers. Put it to the side. I know you could talk about, oh, they went down a bad road. And maybe they don't deserve it. Uh Uh-uh. Now's not the time for that. But I get it that the Mets are trying to recapture some of their history. And trying to retire some of these players' numbers of yesteryear that meant so much to the organization. But it is overkill. Just like these video tributes, but I guess I'm going to have to live with it because, one more time, this is the way of the sports world in 2023. As far as the playoff picture goes, let me just add a couple of finishing touches to this. The Cubs, who have played well here, And it looks like they could be that fifth team, although they do have a two-game lead over the Giants. And not to say that it's etched in stone that they're going to make it into the postseason, but they have been over the moon surprising and what they've done this year. And the Giants, they've hung around, and they are going to battle to the end, you would think. But you have the Diamondbacks, you also have the Reds, who are separated by one game, two in the loss for the Reds, but one game back as they are tied in the win column with 69. And you also have Arizona. Miami, they've hit an abutment. They now go on the road after a tough homestand. And you wonder if they have any gas left in their tank to see if they could survive in our game on the 500. But the schedule this week, let's take a look real quick. I'm not going to go through the divisions. We know Minnesota should be a shoo-in as they're five games ahead. Forget about the NL East and the NL West as we know. We talked about the AL East. And the NL Central, give it up. As I mentioned, the Cubs, they did win two out of three against the Brewers, and that was big for them. All right, it would have been nice if they swept and kept things close in the division. But the Brewers still have a decent lead. I believe it's three games as we speak. But the Cubs, I would think as much as they want to push for the division, and they do play three games in Milwaukee at the final series of the year. But the Cubs, Giants, D-backs, and Reds, let's take a look at the schedule as far as this upcoming weekend. Right out of the gate, a huge series in Cincinnati with the Cubs and Reds. And they're going to play a day-night doubleheader based on what I see here tomorrow. They have a 110 game and then a 640 game. So if the Reds are going to make any hay in this wild card race, they can't come away with a split. Three out of four minimum, but a sweep. Chances are that's not going to happen. But that's one series. I get it. Not super appealing Certainly not sexy when it comes to, let's say, Braves-Dodgers. But that's one series we'll have to pay attention to to see what comes out of these four games when we get to Monday's podcast. So that's one to keep an eye on. You have San Francisco finishing up against San Diego, or is that a four-game series? No, in fact, that is a four-game series starting tonight. So let's see what the Giants will do as the Padres will look to play spoiler. Miami's in Washington for four. We know Washington has been very feisty. So let's see. And remember, they played each other last weekend where the Nats won two out of three and the Marlins had to get out of that final game alive, eking out a 2-1 win on Sunday. So let's see what Miami does this weekend. We talked about the Mariners coming to New York. Minnesota is in Texas. 
as we take a look at the AL West, we know about the Yankees playing in Houston. Other games, Philadelphia, Milwaukee. So an interesting test for the Brewers as the Phillies come into town for the weekend. And other than that, Toronto's at Colorado. So let's see if they could get some mile-high air and a bunch of runs on the scoreboard for them as they try to keep pace in the AL wildcard picture. Baltimore at Arizona. Tampa at Cleveland for the AL East opponents there. And that's what you have. And Arizona, that's also big too as far as the wild card goes. And that's what you have in baseball over the weekend. And let's take a quick look at Toronto. They, I believe, are two and a half games back. Three in the loss of the Rangers who currently have the final playoff spot. And the Red Sox are six and a half back. And bad news for the Red Sox because they had a stretch where they had the Astros in a... 10-game stretch where they had to play them seven times and they just got swept by them down in Houston and they lost five of those seven. So that was a killer for them. They are now seven back in the loss, six and a half back in the wild card and it looks like, again, they're going to be put out the pasture for this year unless they just have a complete turnaround. But the AL wild card, eh. And the NL wild card, eh. So, as I mentioned, it should be Interesting with the AL West, NL wild card, we'll see. Same for the AL wild card, and you know I'm going to have it covered as we get through this Labor Day weekend into Labor Day when we'll reconnect and recap all that had taken place over the weekend with Major League Baseball. All right, now as I put on my helmet and shoulder pads, college football fans, it has arrived. I understand you had last week, you had a handful of games, and of course you had... Notre Dame playing in Dublin as they drub Navy. But now the season begins in earnest. This upcoming weekend, we'll take a look at the schedule in a minute. We'll have the ESPN Thursday night game tonight, which let me take a look at that before I delve into what will take place on Saturday. Your matchup tonight, that's right, Florida and Utah. And didn't they play last year in the first week of the season down in the Swamp? I believe that was the case and Utah lost. As a matter of fact, I think they got spanked. Well, maybe I have my teams mixed up. But as it is, you have Florida playing Utah as your primetime game. And I know you have Nebraska-Minnesota on Fox. So that's one that maybe the Dynamo fan will take a look at to see where the Cornhuskers stack up against the Golden Gophers. But yes, it has arrived, people. And college football, here's my preview, which may not be a lot. And I know people may say, Jay Reels, come on, man. You really have to go in on what's going to take place this college football year. It's the last year before we get into the expanded playoff next year. What's going to happen with Georgia with the three-peat? What's going to happen with Alabama? Can they bounce back and get themselves back into a Final Four? Michigan without Jim Harbaugh those first three games. Big whoop. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. Ohio State, let's see what they could do with a new quarterback. And you have a lot of new quarterbacks at the top here, which I'll get into in a minute. But we all know that the big story can the Bulldogs three-peat. Now, we know they're going to be stacked. We know that they're going to have a new quarterback. No Stetson Bennett. You're going to have Carson Beck under center to kick off your college football season for the Georgia Bulldogs. And you would think when it's all said and done, they're going to be one of the top four teams. I don't think it's going to be any shock, even if they lose a game along the way. You would think that they're going to defend their... Two titles here over the last couple of years. And we know that they had a lot of offseason. And pretty much right after they won the championship, you had that incident there with the player and the staff member killed that scenario with Jalen Carter right before he got drafted. And you had all that controversy around the draft to where he did not do well during the draft, came in overweight, and even though was able to get drafted there by the Eagles. And you would think that with... All that took place throughout the first couple of months after them winning that second national title. Will that have any carryover coming into this weekend? I don't know if it will. I don't know if it won't. It's not as if the SEC, as we all know, is stacked. But it's not as if you're going to have a ton of teams that are going to come after Georgia. Because once you get into October and November, where the schedule does thicken up a little bit, You would think that Georgia will be able to survive. Now, can they lose two games before getting to an SEC championship? It's possible, 
But I can't see that happening. And I would think Coach Kirby Smart will have his team focused, prepared, ready, even with a new guy under center. And they're going to roll out their team and see where the chips will lie. And I get you could say that for Alabama. I get you could say that for Michigan, Ohio State, a lot of these teams. And as it is right now, we know that Georgia's coming in, number one in the country, no shock there, followed by Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama. We know LSU's going to be good under Brian Kelly, but can they take the next step? And let's see if they could win in Tuscaloosa this year as they beat Alabama last year in Baton Rouge. That will go a long way into whether or not they sneak into the Final Four come New Year's Eve. USC with the quarterback there, Caleb Williams, who will be a Heisman Trophy frontrunner. Is he a guy that's going to take USC maybe to a Final Four, which they were that close to attaining last year before they got smoked by Utah? What about teams like Penn State, Florida State, Clemson, Cadabble, Sweeney, get themselves back in the mix during that stretch where they had Trevor Lawrence and, of course, Deshaun Watson as they were national champs during the mid-20-teens. Those are the teams that we're going to look at here. And could there be another team that's lying in the weeds as well? Whether it is Texas, could Notre Dame creep up? What could Utah do? Oregon, a lot of those teams. I would think that when we take a look at it on a whole, we always look at that quote-unquote Cinderella team just these last two years, whether it's TCU last year or even Cincinnati. Is that a team or any one of those type of teams? Can they sneak up in there to maybe claim some glory and play with the big boys come the semifinals there at the end of the year? I don't know. But the bottom line is, can Georgia win three straight national titles? I'm going to say no. I just think the pressure, the situation with the quarterback having to be thrust in the middle of trying to not only run the table to go undefeated, but even if they lose a game, that probably be a good thing for him as the leader of the team. But I think it's just going to be too much for them to overcome because when you're going for history and when you have an opportunity to do something as special as that, there's going to be something, someone, or some team in this case that's going to upset that apple cart. And as I mentioned, I think they're going to get to the playoff and I even think that they'll get to the national championship game. But as the pressure mounts and the games get bigger, I don't know if that quarterback can be trusted for them to win the whole thing for a third straight year. Now, who that other team's going to be, obviously I don't know. It could be Alabama. Ohio State, Michigan, we know the teams. But I just don't think that they're going to be able to overcome whatever pressure that may be to win a third straight title is just a lot to ask for. Let's just get to that Final Four and let the chips fall where they may. But I think they're going to be formidable and not that I'm going out on a limb, I wouldn't be surprised if they get back to a national championship game. Who they'll play? We won't know. Chances are it's going to be either one of those top six teams. I don't know if Penn State's going to have enough. We know that that conference is loaded. Florida State, are they really ready to take that next step after so many down years? Who knows? And I believe their first couple of games are real tricky. They have LSU to kick off, number one. And I thought they played Notre Dame, but they do not. For some reason, I thought that was the case. But LSU right out of the gate. So we're going to get to see prime time there on, I believe it was that Sunday night, the third, to see whether or not they're going to stack up against the likes of LSU and where they're going to fall as far as this playoff picture here in just week one. And last I checked, if and I couldn't believe this, I didn't really dig in on the research, but I just... Look to see who's the last team to three-peat because obviously Alabama didn't do that. Nebraska in the mid-90s with Tom Osborne didn't do that. But the Golden Gophers of the 30s were the last team to three-peat. Not even Bear Bryant, not even those Notre Dame teams of yesteryear. 
But the 34 to 36 Golden Gophers were the last team to three-peat in college football. I found that surprising, but if that's what it is, that's what it is. But besides that, the other storylines you have here, Jim Harbaugh missing those first three games. To me, it's a non-story. As I talked about last week, that's like punishing your kid. You can't go outside, but you can play video games for an hour as long as you complete your homework when you come out of school. So that's how I look at it. But now can Michigan, they've made it to the dance the last two years, but can they also come out as the homecoming king when it's all said and done? Because they spit the bit last year against TCU and they were just manhandled by Georgia the year before. Can Michigan take that next step to at least make it to a national championship? To me, that's another storyline. And can Alabama get back to the Final Four after missing it last year with the two losses? You know Nick Saban's going to be chomping at the bit. Whether or not LSU's going to upset that, we shall see. And LSU, they have to get past Florida State, which is an early test for them. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Caleb Williams, can he do the job at USC to propel them to heights that USC could relive in those glory days of the mid-2000s? To me, those are your storylines. I don't know if there's a Cinderella team that could creep up. I really don't. And what I mean by Cinderella, a team that is unlikely to knock on the door to get to a Final Four. And no, that's not Penn State or Florida State or even Clemson for that matter. It's Washington and even beyond. Texas, we understand that they are the Longhorns. But they haven't been part of this equation in forever since the days of Vince Young back in those mid-2000 years when they won a national championship over USC. Even Notre Dame, I understand they're ranked 13th, but would you be shocked if they somehow, some way, find their way in mid-November near the top four? So, we shall see. I get it, people. It's not much of a preview because, sadly, college football is top-heavy. And it's only going to get worse. The Power Five, as we knew it, is going to be a monster two or three when it's all said and done. Because you have Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC. You have UCLA, USC going to the Big Ten. As well as other teams. The Pac-12, they might as well implode it right now. There's going to be no Pac-12. And yes, there are teams that move to the Big 12... But still, Big 12, they're not going to be as appealing as the Big 10 or the SEC. So that's what you have there with college football. And Final Four, you could take those four, five, or six teams in a hat, pull them out, and that's your Final Four. This isn't like the NFL from one year to the next. You could have a team like the Bengals did two years ago or a team that had an improbable run, whether it's Jacksonville making it into the second round. It's not baseball where you can have a team that could come out of nowhere to make it into the postseason. Not like that. College football, you pretty much know when it's all said and done who's going to end up being there. And if you do have a surprise team, can they make it to a championship game a la TCU last year? It's unlikely. Very rare you get to see that. And this college football season, you know I'll be on top of it. You know I'll be following it. And there's going to be some parts, especially... When we get into September, into early October, where you're not going to have a lot of big games. You're not going to have a lot of those key matchups that you're going to see until you get to the middle part of October and beyond. But you know that I will be full bore, ready to go, especially this weekend when we take a look at the games on Saturday. You're a 12 o'clock game. I can't believe it's on Peacock. Not that anybody's going to watch because that's going to be 62-0 written all over it. East Carolina at Michigan. Your Fox game, which has that window there. Colorado at TCU, where you have Dion And big article on ESPN, how the Buffaloes have been transformed with all the players through the portal, have gone to Coach Sanders, and the just euphoria that has taken place in Boulder to see how successful Colorado will be this year. Well, they have TCU right out of the gate there on Fox. Your ABC game, Virginia at Tennessee. They're at noon. I know you have the SEC, which is not even on CBS anymore, if I'm not mistaken. I got to double check that. But your 330 window has Boise State, Washington. 
Rice in Texas. Eh. Notre Dame will host Tennessee State. That also has 58-3 written all over it. You have in the primetime slot, which is usually ABC or even ESPN. In this case, it's North Carolina at South Carolina. All right. Penn State hosting West Virginia. A lot of these games here in primetime on major networks. LSU and Florida State, which is your game of the weekend by far. 7.30 there Sunday night as you're polishing off whatever the last of the remains of your barbecue as you head into Labor Day Monday. And then you have Clemson at Duke, ESPN, Monday 8 o'clock. If you just have to watch another college football game there to wrap up your holiday weekend. So that's what you have. I think Georgia's going to make it to the final. Who's going to match up against them? It could be Alabama. It could be Ohio State. I don't know. But you know it's going to be one of those teams when it's all said and done as we begin this college football season tonight and monitor it throughout the course of these next three to four months. And as for the NFL, there isn't much to really get into. I know the Jonathan Taylor saga with the trade. He was not traded as you saw. And he's going to be on the pup list that's physically unable to perform until week five. But he could be traded midseason. We know that the trade deadline is somewhere around Halloween. And we've seen a lot of activity here over the years when it comes to the trade deadline. So who knows if Jonathan Taylor, upon his return, week five, if he's going to be showcased for a trade to a team that down the stretch is going to need a ground game, that's going to need some big-time yardage from an all-pro back. That remains to be seen. So if you want to look at that as a little storyline, you're not going to have to worry about until you get to the latter part of September into October. But the Packers were a team that were rumored to be in the mix as one to acquire the services of Jonathan Taylor. I don't know if the price was too steep. That's what was reported as far as Taylor not being traded to Green Bay. They already have, as we know, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Why they were bringing Jonathan Taylor, I don't know. Maybe to protect Jordan Love, to have more of a ground game as opposed to him throwing 25, 30 times a game. I can understand that, but to me, that's overkill. But that's what you have as far as Jonathan Taylor and the latest with his trade request and the saga that had been over the last month or so when it comes to his health and him wanting out, wanting a big-time contract. So that's going to be put on hold until we think latter part of October into November. And then you have Joe Burrow, who is back practicing. I know that was a story where the coach, Zach Taylor, had to say that we weren't holding him back from practicing because we were getting him ready for the regular season. And even more importantly, knowing that he's going into a contract year, when it's all said and done, he's probably going to be the highest paid player in the sport with the richest contract. And he refuted those reports. But now the Bengals, as they prepare for the Browns next week, now we have... One week to go. I get it. Lions, Chiefs. I've already talked about that, so I'm blue in the face. Next week, I'll have an NFL preview. We'll go head to toe. Still working on a guest. I hope to get someone on. If it's not Gary Myers, I know I've talked about here over the last week or so, but you know I'm going to go in on the upcoming season with over-unders, Super Bowl predictions, my knockout pool pick, which is always bad, but we'll have that a week from today for you guys and gals to chew on. Now let me get my tennis racket. The U.S. Open's in full swing. And boy, you've had some major upsets on the men's side with top 10 players. And that's going to bode well, I would think, heading into next week for a clash of the titans between Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic. You had Holger Runa, the number four player in the world, ousted on Monday in the first round as he lost in four sets to a guy named Roberto Carballas Baena. So kudos to him for beating Runa. Maybe he wanted an early vacation. Who knows? Then you had Stefano Sissipas losing five sets to Dominic Stricker, the number seven player in the world. And he couldn't win a third straight tiebreaker set as he did in the middle portion. He was down one love. He won back-to-back tiebreakers in the second and third set. Went into a third straight tiebreaker set, which he lost. And then got spanked in the final set, losing 6-3. Whether he ran out of gas, maybe that was the case. But he had Stricker on the ropes there in that fourth set. Wasn't able to put him away and therefore was ousted there in that final set. 
And then yesterday, Casper Ruud, who's the fifth player or fifth ranked player in the world, ousted by Zhen Zhang, say that five times, in five sets. So you had your fourth, fifth, and seventh ranked players in the world gone before you got to the weekend. So again, you still have Andre Rublev and Alexander Zverev, Daniel Medvedev. So those are going to be some formidable opponents for Alcaraz and Djokovic. But when you have three chopped off right out of the gate for the most part, that's going to bode well for those hoping a week from this Sunday, a rematch in a final as we saw in Wimbledon between Alcaraz and Djokovic. And then on the women's side, you have Caroline Wozniacki, the former number one player in the world, moving on to the third round with a big-time upset over Petra Kvitova last night in straight sets. Remember, she was out of the game for three and a half years. And even though a former number one, and even though she was a top-ranked player in the world, but not to be confused with anyone as far as being a major player or all-time great, But for her, give it up as she moves on to the third round. Will she have any legs going into next week? We shall see come tomorrow if she could be able to make it into Sunday and maybe even into next week to see if she could get into the quarterfinals. But a good story coming out on the women's side being Wozniacki now moving on to a third round and beating the 11th ranked Kvitova in the process. And then I have to say this. I know it's going to sound maybe a little bit crude. Who am I to say that Venus Williams should shut it down. She's 42 years of age. She's been in this tournament now 24 years running. And God bless her. If she wants to play till she's 80, have at it. I can't knock her. But the thing is, is that she's not able to get out of these first round matches. Unlike her sister, and I know this is terrible for me to even bring up Serena, because we know Serena in comparison to Venus. And we know Venus was great. This isn't to diminish anything that she's done throughout the course of her career. But Serena at least had a third round match to where she lost last year and had her farewell. And now Venus, who's still going, and I get it. Tom Brady played to 45, but he got out. And Venus, keep on, keep keeping on. If you want to go to the Australian, maybe have one final go around next year, please have at it. But she's not able to get out of the first round. And this has been happening now over the course of not just a tournament or two, but over the last couple of years. I could see if she made it to the third round and made it into the following week where you could say, wow, she's 40, 41, 42 years of age, and she's made it into the second week of a tournament. But she's getting knocked out here in the first round. And I understand it's a little contradictory on my part, and I keep my hand raised high in the air, and I'm not telling her to leave. But when you're getting knocked out in the first round all the time, that's like if Tom Brady, let's say, were to play this year, and he's just been awful. Throwing picks left and right, getting sacked, he can't even elude a snail's pass rush. And it comes to a point where you see it right in front of your eyes. Tom, it's time to leave. It's time to go. And maybe that game against the Cowboys, where the Cowboys just had their way more so on offense than it was just blitzing Brady out of Raymond James Stadium and into the offseason and to the next chapter of his career. But I'm sure he even knew, I got to give it up. And maybe it's time for Venus to consider that. And you want to go into one more year, Venus? To the Australian, the French, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open? Please, be my guest. We understand it's not going to last more than a round. And maybe if she does win a round, it's definitely not going past the second round. But you know what? As much as I've critiqued her on that, I also got to give it up and say, hey, if you want to play to your 80, you want to play to your 50, be my guest. That's like somebody telling me at 60 or 65, if I'm losing my fastball, Jay Reels, you have to get off the air. But you know what? I will probably have the foresight to say, you know what? Maybe I don't have the passion for this anymore. Maybe I just, I have slowed down. Maybe I want out. I would have to consider that. And if Venus is not, if she feels like, no, this is what I love to do, even if I get knocked out in straight sets, six love, six love, and I don't win a game, okay. We haven't heard her say that. There hasn't been a microphone that's been put in her face to say, hey, 
is the time coming? When is the time going to end? And if she says, I'm not ready yet, then you know what? All right, so be it. But getting ousted in these first rounds, though, does make you think that, girl, the time is coming. That's all I have to say about that. Training camps for the NHL. Physical, September 11th. And on-ice camp opens the 12th, where the season will begin on October the 7th. And in the NBA, training camp is late this year. It's usually in late September. But because the season doesn't open up until October 24th, training camp commences on October the 3rd. So just keep that in mind as slowly but surely we'll usher in the fall and winter sports and be a part of our consciousness as we finally smack off the dirt, the stench, the odor of the last two months that was the sports dead zone. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. As always, thank you so much for passing by, for stopping by to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. Just to increase the visibility, I would greatly appreciate it. And please, with a question, comment, or suggestion, hit me up and subscribe. Follow my YouTube channel, at JReels, where I post daily videos, just one-minute plugs on what's happening in the world of sports. Also, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. One more time, YouTube is at J Reels. X or Twitter, formerly known as Twitter, J Reels one, just a number. And the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say. Sports is in every fiber of my being. With nothing but passion, fire, fury. Energy, all these sports in one podcast. Where else are you going to get that? Forget about niches. Forget about stick to one sport. No, I'm just going to talk about it all. And in one tidy hour, which is probably going to expand a little bit as we get deeper into this month or really into next month and into the year because you know there's going to be so much that's thrown at me that I'm going to have to decipher it and present it to you as tidy, as concise, as neat as possible. But you know I'm going to bring it each and every time with my thoughts, opinions, feelings, critiques, praise, analysis on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy your holiday weekend. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.